Gospels today, and we're going to continue, get back into our study of the book of Luke. And so Luke chapter 6, um, this morning, and I'd like to read a couple verses in Luke chapter 6, and then we'll, we'll pray and then get into the message for today. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 39. Verse 39 and verse 40, and we'll pray, and then I'm going to try to give you the highlights of the rest of the chapter, if we can do that, because it's really all together. So verse 39 of Luke 6, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Father in heaven, we're thankful for thy word today, and we pray for thy blessing, we pray for thy help, the help of the Holy Spirit, and we're thankful for the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he taught, what he did when he was on this earth. And so help us today to be faithful, to rightly divide the word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the, the rest of chapter 6, kind of, it follows after what the Lord said in verse 39. He spake a parable. Parable, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Um, but in the physical realm, in our world, in the earth, there's blindness. And most of you, all right, now I can't read the Bible, I can't read my notes, and I can see most of you and figure out who you are. Um, and so, but, and also probably <clears throat> you've known someone that was blind, being blind makes a difference. It makes life more difficult. Now, that's the physical realm. But the Bible is very clear that in the spiritual realm, there is also blindness. <clears throat> spiritual blindness is much more, much worse and, and more tragic than physical blindness because spiritual blindness, if it's not remedied, will lead to an eternity without Christ. And so that's the seriousness. In fact, we're going to take a look at that more in just a moment. But in Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 39 to 49, the Lord Jesus Christ set forth some extremely important principles concerning spiritual blindness as a warning to everybody in that crowd that day. And so as, the, as we have gone through Luke chapter 6, and we've seen this develop, you know, it be the... the Serving, if you will, the message that Jesus gave here began with words to his disciples in verse 20, and then woes to the unbelievers. And, and there's no doubt in my mind as the way as the way the chapter unfolds that as Jesus began speaking to his disciples, obviously there were other people present, and as he spoke, other people gathered around. And so by the time he's where we are today, there were a lot of people listening and so remember we've gone through that breakdown but it's very important to understand blessings to his disciples he was teaching them about how to be blessed and then he was teaching to those the unbelievers the worldly the woes upon them and then verse 27 is another turning point because it begins with the word but and so there's a change he says i say unto you which hear very important. Again, that word here 
means, is the, the Greek word translated here means to hear, to receive, to believe, and obey. And so he's talking to those who, whose hearts were already being worked on. Some may have already come to understand him and trust him. And so he says a lot about the heart. He's going to say more in our parable today. And so starting there in verse 30, before we get to the actual text in, in Luke 6, I want to give you a couple scriptures on a description of spiritual blindness. First of all, Romans 11. Let's go there. And I don't, I can't go to, into a lot of details about all these things, but Romans 11 tells us that spiritual blindness has affected the nation of Israel. Okay? Romans 11. <clears throat> Verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be proud, wise in your own conceits. Now he's writing to the Gentile believers that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That is until all the Gentiles who are going to be saved are saved. And so, in other words, like manner, all Israel shall be saved. And it goes on to describe that. So in that they... Uh, blindness in part, that, 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 the idea of that phrase is this. It means partial or temporary blindness. So the blindness is not total because there's a remnant, there was a remnant then, there's a remnant today. There are Jewish people who have come to know Christ as Savior and it's not permanent because the chapter goes on to describe the when when Israel will turn back to the Lord, right? So there's that. Second Corinthians chapter four speaks of unsaved people, people who have never trusted in Jesus Christ, people who do not receive the gospel as being blind. Notice Second Corinthians four verses three and four. And Paul says, but if our gospel be hid or obscured or hidden, it is hid to them that are lost, to those unsaved, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. See, notice, blind. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so there's one area of of a, of a spiritual warfare as the devil, the God of this world, blinds unbelievers and, and he fights hard. He battles against the truth and he tries to stop people from hearing the gospel. And even according to Jesus' parables, when they do hear, the devil comes and says, catch us away from out of their hearts. Right? So he's, he does that. So there's blindness there. With Second Peter chapter 1 tells us of another aspect of this blindness and that is I'll call this slothful professors and it might be more than that because again it's not what I think or you think or anybody thinks but it's what the word of God says and it's even though it's hard to imagine people that are described in 2nd Peter um, chapter 1 we're going to go to verse 8 first of all and then verse 9 and he's talking, if these things be in you, you know, faith, virtue, knowledge, and so on. If these things be in you, 
Notice, in you. And abound. So, in you means in your heart. Abounds means flowing out. All right? Jesus talked about being merciful and being loving. And it has to be, that's from within and shows itself without. That's what he's talking about here too. Um, you, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind. And notice, and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now the Bible says that. The Bible says it's possible for a person to forget they've been purged from their old sins. That's a dangerous place to be, by the way. I don't ever want to be there, and I trust you don't ever want to be there either. Matthew chapter 23, one other one before we get to Luke. The Pharisees and other leaders, so-called spiritual leaders of Israel, we could look at a whole bunch of scriptures on this one, but let's look at Matthew 23. Actually, Matthew 23, almost the whole chapter is an accusation, is a railing rebuke of the Pharisees and the scribes and so on, the religious leaders. But I want you to notice with me verse 25 and verse 26. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. And so he's talking about you know, their, their outward appearance is great and perfect and wonderful and, and their deeds supposedly. He talks about how they tithe and do all these things. But inside, he said they're like, he, in the same passage he talks about them being like whited sepulchers. In other words, polished graves that look nice on the outside. But what's inside? Rottenness. And he even says dead, dead men's bones. And so those are just a few examples. I hope you got those scriptures and you can look into those more. But the description, there is spiritual blindness. It's all around us. Now, let's take a look back in Luke. Let's get to Luke now, chapter 6, at verse 39. And take a look, secondly, the danger of spiritual darkness. The danger of spiritual darkness. And the Lord illustrates this with two questions in Luke 6, 39. But then it says, it starts off by saying... And he spake a parable unto them. Now the word parable literally means this, an illustration that teaches in a story or extended figure of speech. Parables have also been described as earthly stories with a spiritual meaning. So um, an outward story with an inner meaning. And of course, according to Matthew 13, one place Jesus said... He used parables to hide the truth from those who did not want to hear, the hard-hearted. And then, of course, the, those who would hear, and his disciples, he would explain to those who wanted to know the truth. And so he gives a parable here. And he says, can the blind lead the blind? And so... I want to I'll look at take it look look at it this way. Question number one speaks of disability. It's one of those questions. The answer is assumed. 
Can the blind lead the blind? And the answer is no, they can't. Now, he's obviously using a physical reference to speak of a great and sorrowful, solemn spiritual truth. No, the blind can't lead the blind. And he says, shall they not both fall into the ditch? And it's interesting that this is one of those sayings from the Bible that you hear in the world. I've heard people say, oh, if I were to do, try to do this job, it would be like the blind leading the blind. I hear that saying all the time. And of course, they only apply it to the earthly realm and earthly things. And Jesus is applying it here spiritually. Uh, shall they not both fall into the ditch? And of course, what's the ditch? Here's the danger. The ditch in this question ultimately refers to hell and the lake of fire. It refers to the fact that that's the destiny. So the blind leader has the same destiny as the blind follower, except this. Hebrews and 2 Peter, other places in the scriptures, have a warning of the severity of judgment on those who lead others astray. And I, and I hate to say this, it, it breaks my heart, but we don't understand. In, the, in this country, there are millions of people gathering in religious gatherings. Some call them churches, some call them other things. And all over the world, like what is it, 8 billion? Has the world made it to 8 billion yet? I think it's getting close. So perhaps billions of people are gathered together listening to some so-called minister or priest or religious leader or something like that. And unfortunately, a, a huge number of those themselves don't know the truth, and so they're leading others. Way back in the book of Isaiah, here's what Isaiah said. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because, what? You know the rest of the verse? There is no light in them. There's a lot. So that's what, so that's what the Lord is about to unfold. <coughs> excuse me, unfold in this passage. And so this question, these questions are not just to. Okay, I'm asking the question. Now I'm going to move on. All the verses from verse 40 to 49 have to do with what He's asking, and so He gives several things. So the, the next thing that we're looking at is the discerning of spiritual blindness, all right? The discerning of spiritual blindness. And this is going, this is the biggest part. And so, um, anyway, let, let's just see how, how we want. I'd like to get touch on every one of these verses this morning. So let's get going, all right? Hang in there. Verse 40, disciple and master. By the way, in these verses, the Lord will show both symptoms and solutions. Okay, how do we know if we are, a, a, if we're involved, if, if spiritual blindness is part of our life? Is because even Christians can be deceived, and in fact, you know, be uh, uh, do not be, you know, do be not deceived, my beloved brethren, is what James said. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So first, take a look at the disciple master relationship that Christ put here. 
The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The word disciple means a student, a follower, but then it's the idea of a committed learner and follower, someone who is going to follow in the footsteps, as it were, of the master. Of course, master here is a teacher, an instructor, one who provides instruction, and the word implies authority over the students or followers. Now, the Lord Jesus is referred to as master in other places, talking about his position of authority. He said, you call me master and Lord. It's not the same exact word. The word there, the word master, is one with authority, a position of authority. Here, the emphasis is on the teaching aspect. All right? So, let's, let's see what else it says. Perfect. Notice that. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The word perfect here means to be trained or equipped. It's the idea of one who has completed his training. Now, as believers, as in the disciples, and us, we're never there. We never get to that point where we don't need more learning or more training. But the disciples, Jesus Christ, brought them to the place before he went back to heaven, and when he sent the Holy Spirit upon them on the day of Pentecost, they were fully equipped for the ministry that God had called them to. And so that's what he's talking about here. The, that little, look at that wonderful, wonderful statement at the end of verse 40. Shall be as his master. All right? A very important statement. I, I can't put it better than Matthew Henry did in his commentary. This is what he says. Perfect, meaning an established disciple, shall be as his master, dead to the world and everything in it, as his master is. Let him live a life of labor and self-denial, as his master did. And make himself a servant of all. Let him stoop and let him toil and do all the good he can, and then he will be a complete disciple. All right? Now, by the way, don't misunderstand. A disciple in the true New Testament sense is a saved person. In fact, in the book of Acts, what was, the main, what was one of the main words given to describe believers? Disciples. Acts 11 after months, years had gone by, it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. All right? So that's the kind of disciple that we're talking about here when we went regarding a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who is saved. But I want, you to, I want you to think of something. Is this not also, can there be an application and a warning concerning spiritual blindness? I think so. And there are at least two I would submit to you today because we're in the context of those who are blind. And he's going to continue that thought in the rest of the chapter. So I have a couple of things that I, that I would submit to you this morning. First of all, to be a Christian, to be saved and not be like the Master, like Christ, is a grief to our Master. The Lord Jesus Christ. A person, and again, no one has reached perfection. 
And so there are different levels, and, and the, the epistles, and, and John especially, addresses different levels of Christian growth. But the design and the predestination, according to Romans 8, is conformity to the image of Christ. And so we're, there's, there's a lack there. We're, we're not what, what God wants us to be, and we, we're, we're, we grieve the Lord if we're not like the Master. But then I want to mention a second thing, and that is this. People can follow the wrong master. People can follow the wrong master. Look at Matthew 22 for just a moment. Keep your place in Luke, please. Matthew chapter 22. Again, Jesus, this was this happened in his life, in his earthly ministry. All right, Matthew chapter 22. These accounts in Scripture, they are, some, they are the, some of the most tragic, some of the saddest records in Scripture because of those who had the, the very Son of God in their midst. And yet look at verse 15. Matthew 22, 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Find something wrong. Confuse him, mix him up. And so, but I want this is what I want to get. Verse 16, and they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians. Bitter enemies normally. Saying, Master, we know that thou art true. Now see this this is the flattery, alright? This is the deceitfulness of these leaders. Thou we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. And they didn't believe that. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? So their question was this. Their thought was this. If he says it is lawful, then we're offended. If he says it's not lawful, then the Herodians are offended. So either way, he's going to, they're going to have enemies. They're going to stir up trouble. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, hypocrites? Show me the tribute money, that is, the tax money. And they brought him a penny, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They said to him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard, had heard these things, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now let's look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, as Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem, he, he meets with the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And in Acts 20, verse 28, says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. He's talking to the teachers, leaders, and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, and with those from outside. Also of your, self, your own selves from inside shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. All right? In other words, they want to gain disciples. And he says, therefore watch. And he warns them about the danger that would, would come there. And of course it has. All right, let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 6. Self-deception. 
is a sign of spiritual blindness. Verse 41. <clears throat> and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy neighbor's, well, thy brother's eye, sorry, thy brother's eye, but, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, and when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye, Thou hypocrite, for cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. Now the key to these verses are the words uh, mote and beam. Right? The word beam, or by the way, first of all, the word behold means to pay attention to. It means you, you notice, you look at the beam, I mean the mote. The word moat means a speck. It can be a speck of dirt, can be a little splinter of wood, something that can get into the eye right, and cause an irritation. So in this, in this, in this verse, it is some kind of a fault. A moat, I mean a beam, perceiveth not, means that they don't see or notice. So this is the kind of person. This is a self-deceived, critical, self-appointed judge um, and so they see every little fault, but they don't see that there's a beam in their own eye. Now, a beam means a beam of wood, a plank, a log. You see these things going? They start there on the floor, and they go up to the ceiling, and they go across the roof, and down the other side. Those are beams. <laughs> Arch beams, all right, to be specific. But they're beams. And so what Jesus is talking about here, a person is blind if they, if they see every little tiny speck in somebody else's life, but they don't see the huge log sticking out of their own eye. That, that's the illustration. That's the picture. And of course, you know, the Pharisees were great at that. Jesus said they strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> see? And, and I, I want to say this because... As Christians, if you're saved today, I would submit to you that other people's faults are much more apparent than our own. Okay, we've got to watch out for that. Jesus said that's a symptom of blindness. We can't see clearly. No, isn't, that, isn't it beautiful what he says? Down in verse 42, it says, Thou hypocrite. You know, the word hypocrite's interesting. It's a Greek word that comes from the dramas of the day. It means that it's someone who, a play actor, one who wears a false face. And it was used back in the day in that culture of people that would uh, uh, dis dis disguise themselves to play a part in a play. And so they were pretending to be what they weren't. And I guess that's okay if you're in a play, but not in life. So they pretend to be, you know, something that they're not. And so these Pharisees and the scribes and the, the leaders, Sadducees and the chief priests and so on, for the most part, they wanted the people of Israel to believe that they were these spiritual people. And, you know, when Jesus was talking, this same text in Luke 6 is also found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but there's a lot that's enlarged in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. Well, in Matthew 5, Jesus says to the people, except your righteousness exceed 
the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall no, in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said, you, if, if you're not more righteous than they are, you're gonna, you won't make it. And, so, and that would have, been a great, would have been a terrible, a shock to the common people because they looked at these Pharisees like, oh, you know, they're just a little bit down from God. Well, actually, they're, they're closer to the devil than God. And of course, it would have been a terrible offense to the Pharisees. But you know what? Jesus cared about the truth and he cared about the soul's of people, but so he says, "Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye." In other words, get rid of the the sin in your own eye, and then you'll see clearly. You'll see clearly to pull out the moat. In other words, if you get rid of the sin, the beam out of your own eye, you'll have a right heart to minister to those that have faults. Right? Okay, we'll go. On. That's. Um, we'll move on to the next one. Fruit bearing. Verse 43, here's the principle. For a good tree, again, he's talking in, He's talking parabolically. He's talking about earthly things, which they were familiar with. They were familiar with trees and, and all these other things. And for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. I mean, that's obvious in, in the natural realm. For every tree is known by his own fruit. Verse 44. For of thorns, men do not gather figs. We got thorns. You got any, anybody have thorns around your place? You ever get caught? And I've been walking through, the, the, even down here, doing stuff. And I remember one day, I mean, I got caught. I, I thought I was never going to get out. And I came home, and <laughs> my shirt was torn, and I was you know, bleeding, and everything. You know, and I never would go, I never thought, maybe there's apples on these thorns, you know. Maybe I'll find some figs on these, fo- on these thorns. You know what I found? <laughs> was thorns. And the more you, you know, you've been there, the more you struggle, the worse you get, you know. Anyway, and so, obviously, nor of a bramble bush do they gather grapes. All right? So, tree is known by its fruit. It's known by what it produces. Look at verse 45. A good man. Understand. A good man, here's a godly man, a Christ-like man, one who is saved. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. By the way, how do I know that? Because Romans says there's none good, no, not one. So Jesus can't just be talking generally. No, there's some good people and not so good. Now, we, we, we talk like that because we're blind, I guess. Apart from salvation, there are no good people. You understand that? That's what, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, remember that? He said, good master, what good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why callest thou me good? Why are you calling me good? There's only one good, and that's God. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you don't recognize me as God, don't call me good, because I'm either God or I'm not a good man. And we, we, we have to get that type of thinking into our minds and think biblically that outside of Christ, outside of salvation, there are no good men, women, boys, or girls. Because we're all lost. We're all sinners. We're dead in sin and so on. So he's not talking about that kind of goodness that the world talks about. But a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, the inner man, bringeth forth good, that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. 
For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. So in other words, and the word that's really interesting, that word abundance <clears throat> means overflow or outflow. Now, yes, the Bible talks about the heart, but the Bible talks about the bowels. So the seed of affection and so on was, was considered to be a little bit lower in the body. And so it's like, but whatever that is the case may be, whatever's, whatever's inside comes out. Now, notice it says that, you know, a, a, a um, corrupt tree, I was, I was looking back, yeah, verse 43, a good tree brings not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. In Matthew, Jesus said a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Just can't be done. But a good man out of the treasure of his heart, the good treasure of his heart, what's inside comes out. You know, Jesus said in Mark 7, it's out of the, in, it from within, out of the heart of man, proceed adulteries, fornications, evil blasphemies, evil thoughts, evil eye, all these things, thefts, blasphemies. All these things come from within and defile the man. And again, that, what was the context of that? The Pharisees were complaining because Jesus and disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. And they had it all, they had it all wrong, didn't they? As always, they had it all wrong. Any kids, now if your mom says wash your hands, I mean, that, that you don't have the right to say, Jesus said that dirty hands don't defile. That's not the point at all. all right? The Bible says, the, 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 keep the law of thy mother. All right? um, <clears throat> the abundance, the overflow, the outflow. Um, let's go to Romans 6. I want to show you a good example. Romans chapter 6, and, and, and notice what it says there. Again, wonderful. Oh, the word of God has so much to say, both the old and new, about fruit, about fruit bearing, and the kind of fruit that is produced. Um, verse 16, Paul says to the believers there, well, know ye not that to whom, Romans 6, 16, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God bethink that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. See? Obeyed from the heart. And what happens? When a person obeys from the heart, their life bears fruit. Now, in fact, notice what goes on to say that. Verse 20, verse 20, For when you were the servants of sin, which we all were before we were saved, you were free from righteousness. That's an awful place to be. The word free from righteousness means devoid, devoid of righteousness. What fruit had ye then, and those things were of you now shame? For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. All right? Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. And so fruit, and then again, there's passages of scripture like Mark, Mark 7, 20-23, which talks about the evil things. They all come from within, out of the heart. Right? Now, back, let's go back to Luke 6. We've got two more things. Uh, Luke 6, 
The next thing is, I couldn't put a title on this, but it's the, it's the idea of Lord, Lord. Luke 6, 46. Jesus says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I guess we could call this empty profession. Right? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? All right. Now, I want for this, the Bible, by the way, Scripture is its own best commentary. So let's go to Titus chapter 1. As Paul writes to Titus and to warn him, you know, it's interesting, in the book of Titus, basically Paul says to Titus, I, I left you in Crete, so that you, I want you to go there and set in order things that are wanting. He's basically saying to Titus, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of straightening out that needs to be done in Crete, and so on. And so here's one of the things. Notice, think about those that call, that say, that call Jesus Lord, but not in a true way. Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God. In other words, they claim, they say that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. See, now that, see, that basically is a, another way that, of, of, of saying Describing what Jesus said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? All right? and there, were, there were many in those days, and there are many today. Now today, it's maybe expressed this way. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. I'm a Christian. But here's what it says. And I know people, and I'm concerned about people. I mean, I'm concerned about my own life, you know. Paul said, I'm concerned that I, as I preach to others, I myself could be a castaway. So it's a serious business. But notice how it's described. He says, in works they deny him. That means they actually repudiate him. Being abominable. The word abominable means detestable, disgusting, of course, to God. We have all kinds of so-called Christian things today. I remember years ago, one night after church, I probably shared this before, but I mean, there's probably, I could probably use some new material, but um, when, years and years ago, our youngest daughter, we first got a computer, and she happened to find a what was called a Christian gay chat room. And she goes, Dad, what's that verse? I said, like, so I gave her verses to tell these so-called Christian gays, right? And so after about two verses, they blocked her. They cut her off. But there's Christian everything today, supposedly, right? But they're not, see? They're abominable. What? They're disgusting to God, all right? And there's a lot of things going on in our country that are being promoted as proper and right, and they're disgusting to God. I hope, and just... I'm not going not, to not take a lot of time, but I hope everybody in this room, you all know what you are, right? You all know what you are? You're, you're, everybody here is either male or female, right? There's nobody in between or... All right, good, okay. Because if there are, we need to have a serious talk afterwards. There's only two. But now, they're teaching in schools, I just found out, this thing called, if you are, if you are a binary, have you heard that term yet? If you're a binary, if that means you only believe in two genders, you're, you're targeted. 
right? You are an outcast, you are a bigot, you are a menace to society, and all those kinds of things. Because binary means two. Right. So anyway. But see, these things that is, are being promoted by the world, they're abominable. And I'm saying there are people who believe, say, I am a Christian. Right? Now, if you want to write it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, say they can't be Christians. Anyway, it's not just that either, by the way. Not just that. Thieves and all that other stuff it says. God can save. That's the point. But there needs to be repentance. Abominable. Now, here's a, this word here. Disobedient. Well, I know what disobedient means. I don't do what I'm told. Well, interesting that the word is a lot deeper than that. Here the word translated disobedient means unwilling to be persuaded. Spurning faith. That, that's, that's what the Greek word translated disobedient means. It's kind of like the Old Testament when God described Israel as stiff-necked. They just they wouldn't be turned. They wouldn't, they wouldn't listen. Boy, do we have those. And then how about this, is, this word, reprobate. Reprobate. I used to work in the factory years ago for Bible College, and there were two guys who worked on either side of me, and they were really best friends. You'd think they were mortal enemies, the way they talked to each other, and they called each other reprobate. And I mean, they thought it was funny. So then when they found out that I was a Christian, that I was going to, you know, prepare for the ministry. Oh man! Then they really, they really wrenched up, you know, ratcheted up this idea of being heathens and reprobates and all that sort of thing. Like they joke about it. Um, anyway, but it's not a joke. It's not something to joke at. Um, the word reprobate means failing to test or reject it. According to Vine's Dictionary, the idea is this. If they are put to the test in regard to any good work, they can only be rejected. In other words, if you anything the Bible says a believer should do, these false professors fail to measure up every time. Every good work reprobate. So reprobate is the idea, again... Failing the test, but it also means rejected. Right? Rejected. All right. Okay. Luke 6. One more major thing here. <clears throat> in a sense, in a way, we can say that Jesus is kind of building in this message until he gets down to really, this is what it all, this is where it all hinges. This is where it all, all, all comes down to. Um and that is this, <clears throat> response to God's word. All right? That kind of covers everything that we've talked about this morning. I know that. But here's a special sense, that, a special aspect that Jesus talks about in verses 47 to 49. It has to do with a response to the word of God. All right. Now I want you to notice, first of all, the word is heard. Or I should, the word was being heard. All right? Look at 47a. First part of verse 47. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them. Verse 49. But he that heareth and doeth not. Right? So two classes of people, two groups of people in Jesus' day, two groups of people in our day in this particular aspect. There are those today who hear the word of God and they, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, they want to do what the Word of God says. And then there are those who hear the Word of God, and they walk away from it, and they don't do it. They don't practice it. Remember what James said, be here, be, but be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. All right, let's see what it says. 
Look at the blessing of obedience, first of all. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. Now, those who come to the Lord, hear and do. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Now in this, in this parable, the rock is the word of God. The, the rock is Christ and his word, right? Bible says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That is the word, the Bible. Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The flood, the stream, those are, are the things that the adversities of life, the challenges of life, whatever comes on them, and whatever beat upon that house could not shake it. Couldn't shake it. It couldn't agitate or sway or unsettle that house. What is he talking about? The life of a believer whose life is founded on God's word. Notice his house is built on the rock. I don't know if anybody was here when they were digging the footers for this building. I don't know if you were here at that time and they had to go down a certain number of feet and the excavator, I think it was that corner, if I remember right, he got down so far, man, his, his, his shovel, his, his thing, it would not, wouldn't do, couldn't do a thing. He says, let me measure. He goes, yep, it's just down where it needs to be. He said, I cannot, that is bedrock. I can't even budge that. He said, that, that, at least that corner of the building is never going never gonna to shake or fall. All right? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about building our life on the solid rock. Like we sang, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. There's a lot of sand over there. Um, and so, it can't be shaken. Wherefore now he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that with, without a foundation build a house upon the earth. They build it on the ground. In those days it could be dirt, it could be sand against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great now so the, the, the waves came the floods came the stream comes and what's it do it washes away the sand and the house falls the house and by the way the word fall is the idea of collapse and ruin means to be broken and destroyed and I've seen pictures, I've seen flood, cap, uh, flood footage, and I see where the water comes along and pretty soon there's a crack in the house and then another one, a bigger one, and all of a sudden the whole thing just, just falls apart. And so what the Lord is saying, the life of a person like that that's built on the sand, it's not built on Christ, it's not built on the Word of God, that house is going to collapse. By the way, notice, but it's more than that. The last part of verse 49 says, the ruin of that house was great. Ruin there means destruction. Great means massive and terrible in intensity and totality. It's the Greek word mega. You want to, if you want to say something is great, you want to say it's more than great, we, we use the word mega today. All right? And so, by, and ultimately the idea there is eternity set without God in this world and separated from God for all eternity. 
It's the response to the word of God. Jesus said in John 12, it's the word of God that will be the judge. All right? And ultimately, in 3 John, John said, I have no greater joy than to know that, to hear that my children walk in the truth. Right? So we need to walk in the truth. When Jesus finished these sayings, here Luke goes right on to the next chapter, but Matthew says they, they were amazed at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And he, of course, he had authority because he's a son of God. And, and praise the Lord as we, as when we teach and preach the word of God and truth and, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, there's authority. In fact, Paul even told Titus and told Timothy to, to rebuke, reprove, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine and with all authority because this is the word. Thus saith the Lord. Not thus saith the preacher. Thus saith the word of God. So we got through. I wanted to get through that because it's one great teaching that Jesus gave there. And of course, as you know, when we as we, and, and as we go through the book of Luke, continue through, there's going to be many more examples of the things that Jesus taught today in that condensed version. He's going to expand upon those many, many times over, and we'll see the response. All right. So may the Lord help us, every one of us, you and me, to have the right response to God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, how we thank thee for the word of God and how tr- it's so, the truth of it, the power of it, the seriousness of it, dear Lord. And I would pray for everyone here today. You know everybody's hearts. Most people here are probably saved. I never take that for granted. So Lord, if there are those here not yet saved, please convict them of their need of Christ and and draw them, Father, as only you can. Draw them to the Savior. For those of us who are saved, Lord God, help us to be faithful in the Word of God. We're so thankful for it. And Father, in these days of confusion and compromise and all the stuff going on out there, Lord, help us to not only proclaim the Word of God, but help us to live the Word of God and do the things to be and be fruitful. As Paul Exhort the Colossians to be fruitful in every good work. Help us, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, let's take our hymn books, and we'll, we'll sing without, without the piano. I guess we have to, without the violin, anything. We'll just say, right, 323. Thank you for your attention um, to God's Word this morning. 323. More love to be, O Christ. More love to stand to me. Let's sing all four of these short verses. And as we do that, we can get help in life. We want to do that. Please, please let us know. If God has spoken your heart, and you need more counsel or prayer,